Well, good morning. I would invite you to take your Bibles and return back to Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 10. We are looking this morning, Proverbs chapter 10, and the passage that Michael read for us. Let me kind of explain to you why we are here in the book of Proverbs, kind of how it fits in what we're doing here as a church. You know, we just spent two and a half years studying the life of Jesus, studying the gospel of Luke, and, and we have just picked up a lot of truth and a lot of of, of what it means that Jesus came into the world, that he died, that he rose, that he, that he is our life, that we are to pursue him, follow him, that, that he's to be everything to us. And, and, and in one sense, those are some very lofty truths that we just studied, some very lofty truths. And, and some of them were, were so huge that you, you kind of, it's hard to get your mind around them. Statements like, you know, if you're either all in or you're all out, Jesus is saying, man, you're either following me completely or you're away from me completely. Things like that that are so big and so huge that sometimes it's hard to understand. What does that practically look like? What does it mean to be following Jesus? What does it mean to be all in? What does it mean to, to be a Christian? How did that look when it comes to day-to-day life? Well, my intention to go to Proverbs was to show this to you. Now, eventually, we're going to study the Gospel of Luke, or Acts. That's where we'll go next. But right now, between now and through, through the summer, I want to study the Proverbs. Because what you have in the book of Proverbs is you have a series of statements. And we'll be starting in chapter 10 and just kind of spending a lot of time in chapter 10 all the way, you know, 11, 12, 13. We'll be hitting different sections throughout there. And what you have are statements. Statements that describe what a righteous life looks like in comparison to an unrighteous life. Now, what you don't have in Proverbs is a bunch of commands. Proverbs isn't saying, do this and do this and do this and do this, and God will be happy with you. What Proverbs is doing is saying, the person who is pursuing righteousness lives this way. The person who is pursuing wickedness lives this way. Just a series of indicative statements. Now, the reason why I wanted to go to Proverbs is because we've talked about pursuing righteousness. We've talked about that Jesus is our righteousness. We want to live for him. We want his righteousness to take over us. We get connected to his holiness, to his truth. We we get our relationship with God restored in Christ. And now we're following after Jesus. And the question now comes, what will that look like in life? What will that practically look like? And we're going to look at the Proverbs to see this. We're going to see what wisdom looks like as it's fleshed out in real life. See, the pursuit of the righteousness of Jesus is the pursuit of the wisdom of God. And what God wants from us in this world is to be wise. He wants us to have wisdom. He wants us to be able to actually know what to do when we face a crisis or when we face a decision. He wants us to have the ability to actually make the decision at the moment. That's wisdom. Wisdom is the ability to take the lofty truth of God and apply it in a very real situation. In real life. So it's taking these massive truths that we've learned 
saying, now, when faced with a situation with your money, when faced with a situation with a relationship, when faced with a situation with the government, how will you respond? Will you respond with wisdom or not? That's what Proverbs unfolds for us. And I thought it would just be helpful for us to kind of take these big truths and drive them down to real life. So we'll look here at the Proverbs of Solomon. The Proverbs of Solomon begin in, in Proverbs chapter 10, and he begins to unfold a series of contrasts. What wisdom looks like, what folly looks like, what righteousness looks like, what unrighteousness looks like. And I wanted to begin here because I wanted to look at the, 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 the Proverbs of Solomon. And in this passage we're looking at today, these five verses, I like this passage. It's, I've actually preached on it before, four years ago, so I'm sure you remember it. Just kidding. I actually had forgotten that I preached on it. I was writing these notes this week. <laughs> so, so I'm like, I'm still going, boy, this is really familiar. I've done an outline like this before. <laughs> I went back, oh yeah, four years ago I preached on this passage. Okay, so I can't remember. I don't expect you to remember. <laughs> but as we go through this passage, I like this passage, and it, and, it, and it really is a powerful passage because what it does is it takes righteousness, the pursuit of Jesus, and brings it right into the home of a young man. A young man who's about ready to head out into the world. A young man who's about ready to go make his mark on the world. And what we're going to see is what it looks like if this young man pursues wisdom, or what it looks like if this young man pursues folly. It's a wonderful picture. In fact, these five verses are just, they flow together for you theologians in the room, it's verses 1 through 5 are what's called a chiistic structure, which means it's going to, taking us on a little circular journey. You can just look at it real quickly here. Verse 1, he says, now listen, son, what you do makes an impact in your home. You're either going to bless your home or you're going to curse your home. Then in verse 2, he says, so, so therefore work, right? Don't be slack. you got to work. Verse 3, this is where we turn the corner. God is your provider. Verse 4, therefore work. Verse 5, because you see, if you work, you'll be prudent and, you'll, and, and you won't bring shame back to the home is the implication. Taking us around on this little journey. And here's what he's saying. This is what wisdom looks like. This is what wisdom looks like. This is what it means to follow Jesus. This is what it means to be connected to the righteousness of God. This is a very powerful set of verses. I think there's three kind of main points that the verse makes. It tells us that, hey, you don't live in a vacuum. Our lives do impact others. That God has designed us to work, but he's our provider. Now, there is wisdom that comes when someone believes this about God. And that wisdom, as we'll see in this text, brings five blessings. And that's our outline. We see, first of all, if we're living under the guise of righteousness and wisdom, we bless others, verse 1. Verse 2, we're lifted from death and we get life. Verse 3, wisdom is going to trust in the provision of God and therefore relax. Walk through life at peace. 4, wisdom is going to work. Not wisdom works like, it, like saying something about the wisdom, but wisdom actually works hard, actually is not afraid of labor. And 5, wisdom is farsighted. Wisdom gets prepared for the future. These are just the benefits of following after Jesus. Now, what I want you to understand is that these verses are not commands. These verses are statements of reality. This is either you 
or it's not you. You're one or the other. And the difference lies in the righteousness of Jesus. Do you follow Jesus? And so as you're walking through this, the point of evaluation of your life isn't like, boy, I better work harder. It should be like, boy, if I, if I identify more with the unrighteous person in this text, then I'm not walking in the righteousness that's been provided for me in Jesus, and I should go back to the cross. But let's look at this. Let's unfold this. This is a powerful message. I'm excited about this, excited about this passage. I'm excited to even speak to the young people in this room because there's so much truth here of what it really means to be a Christian. Let's look at our first point. Wisdom blesses. Verse 1, the Proverbs of Solomon. A wise son makes a glad father, but a foolish son is a sorrow to his mother. You don't need me really to unpack that, do you? It makes pretty much sense, doesn't it? (laughs) Right? Parents, you get the idea of this. What your children do is going to impact your emotional reality. Kids, you got to realize something. You don't live in a vacuum. Our world, man, has separated the family so much. And we're like an independent, right? Our country's like independence. We're going to leave England. We're going to come over here. We're going to start this thing. A bunch of type A's came over and formed this country. And we're just driving forward. And so we leave our parents and we celebrate that. We're out of the house, finally, set free. I'm doing it my way. And we go, yay! Right? That's, that's, that's how we think in our culture, isn't it? It's how we think. Yet there's a reality that as much as that is the driving ethos of our country, as much as it's the driving ethos, it's not the reality. Because what you do, young person, will impact your parents. What you do will impact your parents. A wise son, a son who lives in wisdom, makes his father proud is what he's saying, happy. This is my son. This is my daughter. Look at what they've done. A son living in folly grieves and weighs down the heart of the mother. They've invested, they've nurtured this child, and now the child is going wayward, and there's sorrow. Now, I think there's a very important truth that's here. I'll tell you how I've personally been impacted by this passage. I have realized something, and and I've said this before, and it really comes from this passage. Parenting at the end of the day is ultimately about sending, isn't it? Right? God did not design my children to be living in my basement at 48 years old. Okay? They didn't design that. I want to be living in their basement when I'm when they're 48. Right? I I want them taking care of me. I want them to have good jobs and to feed me and to bring me my tea in the morning. Right? I don't want to be doing that for them. <laughs> I'm 80, coming down the steps. Hey, wake up. You should probably go to work now, right? I don't want to be doing that, okay? Parenting is about sending. But it's about sending your children to pursue the righteousness of Christ in this world. See, I don't want a kid-centered home, and I don't want a parent-centered home. I want a Christ-centered home. Want a home where they pursue Christ so that they will be wise because God is going to design them to make their mark and to do their thing. God is going to design them for their purposes. 
And when they become adults, the question is this. Will I stand there and watch them pursue righteousness? Or will I stand there and watch them pursue folly? Parents, we don't use this verse as a club to say, you better not bring me shame. Proverbs 10 calls you a fool if you do. Right? That's not what it's for. It's a statement of reality. When my kids leave, I will either be proud or I will be filled with shame. Now the question comes to what will make the difference? The righteousness of Jesus Christ, right? Do I bring my children to his righteousness and teach them what does righteousness do in this situation? How does righteousness act in this situation? How would the gospel impact the way you're treating this person right now? How will the gospel impact the way you're, you're forgiving them? How will the gospel impact the way you're doing this? I want to bring them to the gospel so that when they're fighting amongst themselves, that you can say, wait a minute, this is what love would do here. And you, this is what love would do here. So why don't you start loving each other? I make it a goal not to solve my kids' problems, but to bring the warring parties to the love of Jesus. You're fighting over this moment. Here's the question. What would love call you to do? And what would love call you to do? Why don't you start loving each other then? I'm not going to solve this problem. I could care less who touched it first or who had it last. I want you to love each other because that's what wisdom does. That's what the cross does. The cross loves. You see, parenting is about bringing your kids to the wisdom of God so that when they leave home, they bring glory to God and honor to their homes. And kids, you're not, when you leave home, are not going to leave the relationship with your parents no matter how mad you are at them. And what you do impacts them. And the Bible makes it clear, honor your father and mother, right? And how do you honor them? By being wise, by pursuing the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And when you do that, you bring blessing on your home. Now, we move to our second point. Okay? Because you can actually be a blessing to your home. You can be a blessing to your home when you're 16 years old, 17 years old, 18 years old. You can bring honor and blessing to your home. But now, the son is leaving. We move into verse 2. The son's walking off. Now, when the son leaves and goes off into the world, he's going to face a decision. And the decision he's going to face is how is he going to engage this world? With what kind of ethics? Will it be righteousness or unrighteousness? Now, if it's with righteousness, this son gets life. And if it's unrighteousness, there's no profit to his life. Look at what he says now. So here we're in our second point. Wisdom brings life. Look at verse 2. <clears throat> Treasures gained by wickedness do not profit, but righteousness delivers from death. Now what's he talking about? Treasures gained by wickedness. I think we can look at it and see. There is always a shortcut. There's always a way to lie. There's always a way to cheat. There's always a way that you can do something that might benefit you. Always that way. Right? I mean, I mean, guys, you can, if you have expense reports, you can lie on your expense report. You can steal a little bit here. You can do a little bit of there. And you'll get stuff. It's possible you might not ever get caught. It's possible. Here's the question. The treasures that you get from that, what will it produce in your life? 
Let's say somebody has successfully figured out a way to lie and cheat and steal and manipulate everybody around them, and they get a lot of money for it. Solomon says, but there's no profit. In the end, you will be just as empty before you had all those resources. But you see, righteousness, notice what he says, righteousness delivers from death. When you say, no, I want to do this Christ's way. I want to walk in the righteousness he's given to me. I want to be a person of integrity. I want to be a person of truth. I want to be a person of, uh, of true honor in this world. He says, guess what? You get life. It says delivers from death. You know what that, I think that the text isn't just talking about when you ultimately die. I think that's part of it. But I also think you are delivered from the hopeless existence that wickedness brings in this world. Hopeless existence that wickedness brings in this world. You know, people who live this kind of manipulative life where they lie and they cheat and they manipulate and they move and they do all this stuff, they are horrible people to be around and their lives are a wreck, right? It's true. We all know people who live that way. And he's saying, you know what, son? You walk by righteousness, and you are delivered and brought to life. The life that comes through the righteousness that Christ provides is an incredible life. But now, this comes down to then all the little, little decisions that go on in the quietness of your life. The small decisions. Let me give you just like an example of this. I know this from having two kids with driver's license now. And those of you who are there are getting close to there. In our state, if your child's going to drive, they have to get 50 hours of drive time with their parents or a licensed driver. 50 hours. And 10 of those hours have to be at night. When you go to bring your child to get their driver's license, you have to have this piece of paper with the signature, a parent signature saying, my child has driven 50 hours. And you sign it. Now, they don't check it. Now, those of you who, parents who have been in my situation, it's not a lot of fun to get those 50 hours, right? It's just not. Sometimes it's terrifying to get those 50 hours, right? Not with Amber, but with other people. Aren't you supposed to be in the nursery? You should go back there now. No, I'm kidding. Okay. It's, it's not a lot of fun. And, and early on, there's these moments when your kids go, can I drive? And you go, okay, we got to get the 50 hours, but I, I want to say no. But I also know i got to get the 50 hours in, but I really want to say no. <laughs> Will anybody know if I just say they got the 50 hours? Will anybody know? Maybe I'll just sign it. Whether they get six hours in or five hours in. Will anybody know? Now, you face that decision as a parent. But what are you doing at that moment? You're telling your child, treasures gained by wickedness is profitable. Go ahead, cheat. Go ahead. It's no big deal. Don't just sign the paper as soon as they get their permit, and then whatever they get is whatever they get. But I don't want to teach your children this. 
Because when you face that moment in life, when they have their expense account, they're 30 years old, and they can put on that extra cup of coffee that they picked up on their way to work and just call it a meeting. And so they're getting their Starbucks paid for every day. I don't want them to say, well, Dad, you taught that to me. You taught that to me. You taught me that there's profit to living on the edge of the line. You taught that to me, Dad. I learned that from you. You see, I want to teach your children treasures gained by wickedness is so unprofitable because it weighs you down. You see, I want to follow after Jesus who would have said if it takes 50 hours to get your license, 50 hours is what he, and if he signed his name to it, it'd be 50 hours. Guaranteed. No lies. No cheating. No manipulation. Treasures gained by wickedness don't profit. You see, our children, when they leave their home, leave our homes, are going to have to face a reality that the stuff of this world brings no joy. And so lying and cheating and manipulating is only going to bring them more death in their life. Do you see that? It brings more death. By being honest and signing that paper 50 hours, there's life in that because we were truthful and righteousness delivers from death. Signing and lying does not bring life. Now, Solomon wrote these Proverbs. We know this. It says this right here, the Proverbs of Solomon. Solomon understood this principle so well. Just listen, because in Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verses 1 through 11, listen to what he says about this life. This is a long passage, but just try to follow along here. Solomon said this, I said in my heart, come now, I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself. But behold, this also was vanity. I said of laughter, it is mad, and of pleasure, what use is it? I searched with my heart how to cheer my body with wine, my heart still guiding me with wisdom, and how I lay hold on folly till I might see what was good for the children of man to do under heaven during the few days of their life. I made great works. I built houses and planted vineyards for myself. I made myself gardens and parks, and I planted in them all kinds of fruit trees. I made myself pools from which to water the forests of growing trees. I bought male and female slaves. I had slaves who were born in my house. I had also great possessions of herds and flocks, more than any who had been before me in Jerusalem. I also gathered for myself silver and gold in in the treasure of kings and provinces. I got singers, both men and women, and many concubines, the delight of the children of man. So I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also my wisdom remained with me. And whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure. For my heart found pleasure in all my toil, and this was my reward for all my toil. Then I considered all that my hands had done, and the toil I had expanded in doing it. And behold, all was vanity and striving after the wind, and there was nothing to be gained under the sun. He said, I went through this test. On the one hand, I had wisdom. On the other hand, I had the flesh. And I decided, what would happen if I pursued the flesh to the furthest degree that any human being has ever pursued the flesh? And you know what conclusion I came to? I got nothing. Nothing. So why would we want to teach our children? Hey, guess what? Lie, cheat, get a little bit here, get a little bit there. And all we're saying is that Yeah, because you see, I want to build your life to get nothing in the end. Solomon did it all. And he said it was worthless. Emptiness. 
So the point of this is he's saying, but the one who pursues righteousness, the one who says, man, I want to follow after Jesus. I want to live for him. I want to be all in for him. I want to, I want to live in his way. I want to do what he would do. I want to live for him to such a degree that he means everything to me. That particular one gets delivered from the death of this world. That's truthfulness right there. Wisdom brings life. But now, we move now to the next point. Because what Solomon's doing is he's bringing us right down to the crux of it all, which is that wisdom trusts God. Look at verse 3. The Lord does not let the righteous go hungry, but he thwarts the cravings of the wicked. So now, notice he keeps using this word righteous. And we know righteousness only comes from Christ. We know that. So he's saying the person who's pursuing Christ is provided for. God will provide. But the wicked has a set of cravings. They want more. They want more. They want more. They constantly want more. It's not enough. Solomon, I built great houses, great forests. I built all these things, these gardens that were beyond belief. I had more pleasure than any human could ever have. I had money. I had women. I had stuff. But you know what? The craving was never satisfied. It wasn't enough. It wasn't enough. And God keeps thwarting it. It's never going to be enough. It's never going to be enough. It's never going to be enough because I want to be everything to you. I want to be all to you. I want you to, to live for me, not for the stuff of this world. And so the money and stuff, all it does, right, when you start living for money and pleasures of this world is it makes you worried and paranoid and concerned and nervous and, and a wreck, and, and it just tears you down, doesn't it? Right? We've all had those moments. It tears you down. Why? God thwarts it. I'm not, not going to let you find your joy in, your, in the security of your bank account. I'm not going to let you find joy in the type of house you have. I'm not going to let you find joy in how much stuff you have. I'm not going to let you find joy in immorality. I'm not going to let you find joy in lust. I'm not going to let you find joy in greed. I'm going to thwart you every step of the way until you find your joy in my son. And in my son I provide. There's the anchor of life right there. Boom. Now the son who catches that point brings joy to his family. The son who pushes against that point dishonors his family, grieves his mother's heart. Now, he then cycles back to work again. This is what verse 4 does. It cycles us back to work. As he, as he kind of brings us, he says, now listen, you know, a wise son is going to bring joy to his family. He's going to bless his home, and a foolish son is going to bring shame. So don't be going out there looking for dishonest gain. There's no profit in that, but you get life when you pursue righteousness. So continue to pursue righteousness. God provides. But if you pursue the, the, the flesh of this world, God thwarts it every step of the way. Therefore, now we get to the reality of w- what wisdom does. Wisdom works hard. Notice verse 4. A slack hand causes poverty, but the hand of a diligent man makes rich. It's an interesting proverb, isn't it? A slack hand causes poverty. But the hand of the diligent makes rich. What's he saying? A lazy person is not blessed. And a person who works hard is blessed. It's interesting. 
I could stand up here, and I wouldn't, but I could stand up here and I could say, listen, God owns, you know, cattle on a thousand hills, right? He has all the money in the world, and, and he wants to give you that money. He wants it all for you. So if you just write a check to Kishwaukee Bible Church for $1,000, God will bless you with $10,000. He'll give a tithe of 10% back to you if you just write that check. Now, if I were to say that, after you fired me, which I hope you would do, I hope that you would read Proverbs 10.4 and say, how dare you try to make me lazy? A slack hand causes poverty. God designed us to work. Designed us to work. He designed the world to be worked. God created the world in six days, and on the seventh day, he rested. Why? Because he worked for six days. Jesus said, my father works, and he continues to work until now. What's he getting at? God, we were created in God's image. God created us in his image. And it's a simple principle. God designed for resources of this world to be given to those who work young person, the goal of life is not to figure out the fast track to prosperity. You're not looking for that little angle, that that quick trip to money and success. I read a statistic. said that the average credit card debt for junk debt in the United States, junk debt, is $14,500. Now, that's not the average total American debt to the average American household. But junk debt, debt paid for televisions and DVD players and Blu-rays and all that kind of stuff, stereo systems, coffee. The average American has $14,500 on a credit card or several credit cards for televisions, stereos, and lattes. $14,500 on that. Why? I just want it now. Rather than working and earning the money and saving and buying it, I want it now. What happens to a slack hand? What happens to the person who says, I want it now? This is his principle. He's just giving a simple principle. He's not saying everybody's going to be a millionaire. It's just a simple principle. If you work, you get resources. And if you're looking for a way out of work and the fast track, what happens? Poverty comes. See, it's that decision, that moment. Do I recognize God's put me here to work or not? You see, righteousness would say, I want to follow Jesus. And I want to work hard. And I want to be a provider. And I want to use the hands and the feet and the resources and the gifts and the talents that God's given me to cultivate this earth to the glory of God. To use the gifts and the talents that I've been given to do something with this earth to the glory of God. That's what a righteous person does. But an unrighteous person who isn't following after Jesus is looking for that quick path around. Ah, just put it on the card. It doesn't matter. We're going to file for bankruptcy anyways. Just put it on the card. It doesn't really matter. What's another five? It doesn't matter now. Man, we got $14,000 worth of lattes. What's one more? Just get it. It doesn't matter. And he's saying that slack hand is your downfall. And then what happens? You become a shame. Dishonor your parents is what he's saying. 
You bring shame to your home. So now, here's his logic then. Kids, what you do impacts your parents. So if you pursue righteousness, you have life. If you pursue wickedness and, and craftiness, it's only going to bring destruction upon you. So pursue righteousness because God is your provider. Don't walk away from righteousness because he'll thwart you. And work hard because you've been designed to work. Because your downfall will be if you don't. Then he gives this final blessing of wisdom. Now, if wisdom is there in the child, it becomes farsighted, which is the fifth verse. Notice what he says. And he who gathers in summer is a prudent son. But he who sleeps in harvest is a son who brings shame, bringing us back to that shame. Who does he bring shame to? His family. Now, what does it mean to gather in summer? It means the person who understands. I've been here. I want to work. God's my provider, so I'm not working out of fear. I'm not storing up stuff because God isn't providing for me. It's that recognition. I will do whatever it is that I can do to the glory of God. God provides. I'm not worried. But I work hard, and that prudent son is farsighted. It means this. The one who gathers in summer is the one who's ready, who's prepared. But the one who sleeps the one who says, listen, I'm not going to do this. I'm going to dial it back. I'm going to be lazy. I'm going to be slothful. He's going to sit at home and play video games. Bring shame upon people around him. He's not a blessing. He's a burden. What he's saying. He's a burden. What's the heartbeat? The heartbeat of this passage is he's saying, listen, practically speaking, a person who pursues righteousness person who pursues righteousness then recognizes that I'm walking now in a manner in which I want to bring blessing to others. I want to work hard. Not because I'm fearful of the future. God is my provider. But because God has put me here to do this. To use the energy that I have to bring blessing to people. To use my gifts and my talents in a manner that brings glory to God and honor to my family. That's the harpy. So here's his flow, right? You get the flow. Child, if you're wise, you can bring joy to your parents' heart. If you pursue righteousness, you're going to be delivered from the death of those people who are trying to get living in a wicked life. God takes care of you. So don't work out of fear. He's your provider. But because he's your provider, that does not mean that you should sit in your basement and play video games. Work hard, what he says. And when you do, you bring honor. And when you don't, you become an agent of shame. Now that is a practical picture of what following Jesus would look like in an 18-year-old person. That's what the impact of the righteousness of Jesus should have on the decisions made. So we face a decision as a parent Am I going to sign the form or not? No, because I'm not going to take the easy way out. I don't want to be lazy. The righteousness gained by wicked actions does not profit. I'm not living that way. My conscience won't allow it. I want to be righteous when I make those decisions. I want to pursue Jesus when I make those. I want to live out the gospel. See, that's what it means. Is now you've got the wisdom to engage the real stuff of life. Expense reports, jobs, lying, cheating, emails, whatever, all the stuff we face in this world, the complex world, the righteousness of Jesus 
tells us that we're going to do it right, correctly, with honor. So I've got five observations I want to make just in closing here. Just five observations just to kind of help us maybe take some things home from this. Five things I think are important to catch. The first one is this. This is to the young people in the room. I'm going to call you children, but it's not a derogatory way. It's just if you're 19 or younger, I don't know, I'll call you a child, okay? Young people, wherever you are, whether you're 12 or 22, you're not independent of your family. You're not. Your parents might have done something horrible to you. You might not like them, but you're not independent of them. God makes that clear. We got to remember that as you're engaging this world. The decisions that you make influence the happiness, the joy, the, the spirit of the parents, of your parents. Secondly, parents, raise your children to send them to live out righteousness in this world. We're bringing the gospel to bear on their life. We're bringing the gospel to bear in their decisions. And the only way that joy will come to their life, where they'll be delivered from death and honor will be given to your family, is if we teach our children that righteousness is the best way to live. Following after Jesus is the best way to live. That the stuff of this world does not satisfy. But the only thing that satisfies is Jesus Christ. And living for him and living in his righteousness. Fame, pleasure, just does not do it. Third observation. God is our provider. Do not fear. God is our provider. Do not fear. In this tough economic season we live in, it's good to know that what goes on in Wall Street does not impact God. He provides. He provides. Fourthly, if we seek righteousness over riches, you'll have life. If you seek righteousness over riches, you will have life. That's what I want my children to have. I want them to know the joy of being in Christ not the misery that comes from living in this world. It's just misery. It's horrible. Horrible. They don't think it's horrible. They think it's cool. But just watch the biography channel, and you will see that it's misery. Winston, I've mentioned this before, Winston Churchill, 80-some-odd years old, his birthday party. They were toasting all of his accomplishments, everything he'd done from being an author, an artist, politician, prime minister, military leader, everything. He went down on this whole list of things and they toasted him, big long toast and at the, he leans over to his daughter and in his biography it says that he leaned over his daughter and said, I have gained so much to have so little in the end. There's not life in that stuff. It's only life in Jesus Christ. We invest that into our children early. Let them pursue that. Fifthly, if you work hard and trust God to provide, you'll bring honor to your family. Young people, there's the reality. Work hard, trust God. Be faithful with the moment, trust God with the outcome. Be faithful with the moment, trust God with the outcome. 
Young people, do not try to manipulate the outcomes. Be faithful with the moment. Trust God with the outcome. He will always do what brings the most glory to him and what will yield the most righteousness in us. He'll always do that. Well, our first lesson in Proverbs of walking in righteousness. We're going to keep going next week to see more. My heart for us as we do this is that we would genuinely understand what it means to follow Jesus and how that impacts the decisions of our lives. Would you bow your head? Join me in prayer. Father, I thank you for these very clear descriptions of what it means to be righteous. I pray for us parents in this room, it's tough to always let the gospel bear. There are times when we're exhausted. There are times when questions arise and it's 10 o'clock at night we just don't want to deal with it. There are times when the shortcuts are there and we don't, and we take them. Lord, I'm grateful for your grace that's present in all of us parents. But Lord, may we, may we genuinely, genuinely, genuinely make Christ the center of our home so that we can invest within our children the reality that riches don't satisfy, wickedness doesn't satisfy, taking shortcuts don't satisfy, being lazy doesn't satisfy, having the wealth of this world doesn't satisfy. What satisfies is Christ. So Lord, help us as parents to be satisfied in Jesus so that we might invest that to our children and pray for the young people in this room. You might raise up a, an army of young people that bring glory to you and honor to their parents. May they see and savor Jesus and all that is in him, that they might walk away from the wicked endeavors of this world and, and live for the righteous ones. I just pray this in Christ's name. Amen.